Today's scripture reading is out of the book of 1 Samuel. It's going to be about King David and his friendship and covenant with his friend Jonathan. Jonathan, as you recall, was the son of King Saul, who was also David's enemy who wanted to kill him. So, interesting. All right, out of 1 Samuel chapter 18 and verse 1. And it came to pass, when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day, and would let him go no more home to his father's house. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant, because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him, and gave it to David, and his garments, even to his sword, and to his bow, and to his girdle. And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him, and behaved himself wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people, and also in the sight of Saul's servants. And now chapter 20 and verse 14. And thou shalt not only, while yet I live, show me the kindness of the Lord that I die not, but also that thou shalt not cut off thy kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord hath cut off the enemies of David, every one from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, Let the Lord even require it at the hand of David's enemies. And Jonathan caused David to swear again, because he loved him. For he loved him as he loved his own soul. And as touching the matter which thou and I have spoken of, behold, the Lord be between thee and me forever. Thank you, Jacob, for leading the music today. And thank you, everyone, for coming today. It's a great privilege to be here with you and to speak from God's word. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this beautiful Sunday. And I know there was a lot of activity here last evening. Thank you for protecting everybody from the fire and from all of the commotion. Even though it's cold outside, Lord, it's warm in this building today. And we thank you for all your provisions, for your blessings, and for your health. And Lord, please guide my tongue today as we look into your word. And Jesus, most of all, thank you for going to the cross, for dying for us, for our sins, for paying the wrath that's due us in the eternal lake of fire. Lord, we don't have to go there if we have received you as our Lord, God, and Savior. Holy Spirit, be with us today, and we love you, Jesus. Amen. The last two weeks, if you recall, we've been going over themes from the book of Proverbs. Two weeks ago, we looked at the fear of God as a theme in the book of Proverbs. And last week, we looked at guarding our heart as a theme in the book of Proverbs. Continuing in that pattern, today we're going to look at the theme of godly friendships. God wants us and desires for each one of us in this room to have godly friendships in our life. And really, there's two types of friendships. There's a godly friendship and there's an ungodly friendship. And we are not to be unequally yoked with people that are in the world, but we're supposed to find out other fellow Christians and make them the friends in our life. And as Jacob was just reading from the book of Samuel, there's a godly friendship pattern that we can study, and that's the relationship between King David when he was a young man, at this point only a teenager, and the son of King Saul 
by the name of Jonathan. And they were very closely knit. They became best friends. And this covenant that Jacob was just reading about is a deep spiritual covenant. They're both Christians. They're both in heaven today. But also Jonathan humbled himself. He saw the blessing that was on David's life, how God was with David. He knew that one day David would be the king. Think about that. Jonathan was one of the heirs in line to be the king after Saul passed. So he was saying to David in this covenant, here, I'm giving you my robe, my prince robe. I'm giving you my sword, my girdle, all of the things that I have to go to war with, the things that represent that I am next in line to be the king. I'm giving these to you. I'm humbling myself before you. And then he said to David, remember me when you come in as the king, because I have a family that you will protect them. Usually when a king would take a throne, they would destroy the family of the prior king so that there would be no threat to the throne. And Jonathan, recognizing that David would be the king, is saying, please be merciful, and this is a covenant that we have between ourselves. So with that as a pattern, how David and Jonathan had a very godly friendship, we're going to look at some scriptures from the, primarily from the book of Proverbs as they deal with this topic of friendship. So we're going to look at briefly four points. The first point, as you'll see on the handout, is we need to choose godly friends. So the friendships that we bring into our life are by choice. The second point is godly friends give wise counsel. That's one of the reasons why we should have godly friends. Because ungodly people do not have the capacity to give godly advice. They can give wise advice from the ways of the world, but they are not spiritually discerned. So they cannot give you good godly advice. The third point today is do not have foolish friends, especially in your inner circle. Foolish being somebody who denies God's governance and dominion in their life. As we have read from prior weeks, the fool has said in his heart, no God, I will not submit to you God. You will not have dominion over my body and soul. And then the last point today is, let Jesus be your best friend. There is none other that sticketh closer than a brother than Jesus. Only Jesus can be our true best friend in life. He says, cast your care upon me because I care for you. We can give him the burdens of our life and he will bear them up. No one in our lifetime can ever do that because Jesus is God. He can answer prayers. People have the ability to help us, but Jesus is God and so he's the spirit and he works greatly in the spirit world for our benefit. So let's look at that first point, choose godly friends. Psalm 26, verse 4 and 5 says, I have not sat with vain persons, neither will I go in with dissemblers. I have hated the congregation of evildoers and will not sit with the wicked. We have choices in our life with regard to the people that we make as friends. 
The psalmist here is saying he will not sit with vain persons. A vain person is somebody who dwells on the temporal. Vanity is mostly centered in pride. He will not go with dissemblers. A dissembler is somebody who tears something down. When we assemble something, we're putting it together. A dissembler is tearing it down. And there are many people in the world, they have a pleasure in bringing and provoking problems in people's lives. They are dissemblers. We should not be associated with them. This psalmist says, I have hated the congregation of evildoers. Evildoers congregate together. Many towns, like the town where I grew up in, in Wisconsin, they have little bars. It seems like virtually on every corner downtown. And at nighttime, people go in and they drink. They congregate. And the things that happen in places that sell liquor are not good. In fact, many of the signs say, spirits sold here. That tells you the whole story. If the spirits that are in these places are not good spirits. We don't want to assemble with those type of people. Psalm 133, 1 says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. The brethren that are being spoken of here are other Christians. All of us in this room are brethren. And isn't it a pleasant, sweet spirit when we come together, especially when we study God's word? And this psalmist says here how pleasant it is when the brethren dwell together in unity. Sometimes Christians get at odds with each other. Bad words might even be spoken and some bad attitudes. But the good thing about Christians is we can ask forgiveness. And as a fellow Christian, we need to extend that forgiveness. And then that bond of unity is restored. Proverbs 27.6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. When we have good friends in our life that are close in our inner circle, Probably our spouse would be our number one best friend. When they share with us the things that are wrong in our life, not necessarily sins, but certainly if they are sins, they should bring them to our attention. But sometimes we have personality quirks or things that we need to get out of our life and a lifestyle to improve upon ourselves. Sometimes we don't want to hear those things. The proverb here is that, these wounds of the friend are to help us. This week I was working out on my deck and I got a sliver in the palm of my hand. There's a little bit of a scar here, but I had to go into the house and get a needle and pull that sliver out. Now that wasn't a fun process, but the wound had to be made to take the sliver out so that it didn't become infected down the road. And the same thing in our life. Those wounds from friends help us. But it goes on to say the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Do you remember the story of Judas Iscariot when he betrayed Jesus and he kissed him? And Jesus even called him friend. Kisses of the enemy. Judas was Jesus' enemy. He sold him for 30 pieces of silver. He was deceitful. Deceitful means lying, something that will trick you. And there are many people that say words that tickle our pride, 
but they have objectives that are not in our good. Proverbs 27.10 Thine own friend and thy father's friend forsake not. Neither go into thy brother's house in the day of calamity, for better is a neighbor that is near than a brother far off. Let's focus in on the first part of this verse. It says, Thine own friend and thy father's friend forsake not. The people who love us most in our life are our parents and our grandparents. And as we get older, those people become less important, but they have many, many friends. And I look at my parents. My mom is going to be 87. The older I get, the more I respect her friends' impact on her in her life. And this verse is teaching us that. It says, Thine own friend and thy father's friend forsake not. We should not cut off the friendships of other relatives in our close family. Because remember, they have impacted and benefit our parents, our mom and our dad. Why would we not want to encourage that impact that they still have on our parents? My mom always says, when I talk to her, she goes to this funeral and to that funeral. All my friends are dying. Well, when you're 87, that happens. That's the season of life. So the few remaining close friends that she has, they're even more important now. For me, they're more important because they're more important to her. And that should be the way it is with us because God's word tells us that we should have that fellowship and that importance of those relationships. Proverbs 27, 17. Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. This is a very interesting verse. What it's saying is when we share the wisdom that we have with our friends, that's iron, the picture, iron sharpening iron. If you have a knife in your kitchen that's dull, you take and you rub it on the sharpener blade. It's iron on iron, or whatever that material of that blade is that sharpens it. And it's to the benefit. But you'll also notice that it says, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. I was reading one of the commentaries, and they said that this also means on the negative, sometimes friends fall out. They become at odds with each other. And many times, if they don't reconcile, best friends actually morph into enemies. So do you see how that iron sharpens and can change the countenance? If we ever have odds with our friends, we need to reconcile quickly because we can lose that friend in life. And the Bible, again, is teaching us to do that. James 4, verse 4. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be the friend of the world is the enemy of God. James is warning us. He's calling us adulterers and adulteresses. Now, in this room, probably none of us have committed adultery or are doing adultery right now. So why would James say that? 
He's not talking about the physical world. He's talking in the spiritual world. And whatever we put ahead of God, whatever we put of primary importance in front of Jesus, we're committing spiritual adultery. Jesus has to be number one in our life, in our spirit world, in our prayer life, in our friendship life. And if we put anything in front of God, then this verse would apply. We would become an adulterer and an adulteress. And God is saying, don't you know that friendship with the world is enemy? Is enmity? That means you're at enemy with God. Whosoever is a friend of the world is the enemy of God. And when enemies go to war, there's a winner and a loser. And God always wins the war. Always. We never want to be in a position with God where we become his enemy. Let's look at the second point today. Godly friends give wise counsel. Certainly, in this room, all of us have had big issues in our life. They start out when we're going to school and we have the exams that we need to pass. And then they go into our first jobs. And then they go into courtship and marriage and children and sicknesses and aging parents and retirement issues and our own personal health issues. And all of these things compound. And at each step in life, there are people that give us counsel. And those people that are giving us counsel, they should be Christians. Now, sometimes if you need to go to an attorney or to a medical doctor or a therapist, those kind of things, they might not necessarily be Christians and we're looking for their professional advice. But for the most part, the counsel that we receive on an everyday basis should be from wise Christian counselors. Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. So when we need the counsel in our life, those are times of adversity. Those are times when issues have arisen that perhaps we cannot handle on our own. And that's why we need a brother our brothers in Christ are born, are raised up by the Lord to help us in those times of adversity. And God is good. He knows the future. So he knows the people to bring into our path. This past Wednesday, I was at the Salvation Army. And after I had finished speaking, there was a man that came up to me. I think he's under significant demonic influence. Because all that he talked about was demons, that there was a demon in that building at the Salvation Army. He wanted to talk about telepathy and he could read minds. He stared at me and he spoke in a monotone, but he knew scriptures. I kept sharing with him scripture upon scripture. And then I asked him if he would allow me to pray with him. And he said, yes, his name is Timothy. If you remember him in your prayers, and perhaps God wanted him there on Wednesday night to hear the word of God, to have it ministered into his life. And God will bring people across your path like that. Proverbs 18.4 The words of a man's mouth are as deep waters, and the wellspring of wisdom as a flowing brook. If we have to move cargo in a ship, we would much prefer to be on the Mississippi River 
as compared to a river like the James River. Even though the James River is significant, it pales in comparison to the Mississippi. And the waters of the Mississippi, they run deep. Little creeks, they dry up in the summer. They are not deep. We want to have the rivers of the waters of life to be deep. And this verse is touching on that. And it says it becomes the wellspring of wisdom as a flowing brook. The Christians that have walked with the Lord for many, many years, they are a wellspring as with deep waters of wisdom. This morning at our church, we had a guest speaker come in. And he's a Christian counselor of Christian counselors. So he's very experienced and very knowledgeable about the Word of God. And he counsels the counselors. He would be the definition of deep waters from a Christian counseling point of view. Proverbs 19.6 Many will entreat the favor of the prince, and every man is a friend of him that giveth gifts. Many people will approach the president, for example, and will want to have time with him in the Oval Office. They want to entreat the favor of the king, the prince, the president, because these people have the power. They want whatever that power can do to benefit them. Every man is a friend to him that giveth gifts. So when people approach individuals with power, many times they bring them in offering a gift. The same thing in our life. We see that happen. It's so nice to go to somebody when they have needs if you bring them a gift. Many times my mom will prepare a meal and bring that to one of her friends who she knows is ill. And that's a way you can entreat the love and the fellowship of other Christians is by helping them. Proverbs 20, verse 5. Counsel in the heart of man is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. Many times when we have friends that have issues, they clam up. They don't want to share it. There might be many reasons for it. Perhaps they're a conservative, introspective type person. Or sometimes people have pride and they don't want to share the issues. But it says here, a man of understanding will draw it out. Sometimes you know people in your life, perhaps your spouse, and you can read their thoughts without even talking to them. You know exactly what's going through their mind. And you can benefit them because you have understanding that will draw out the issues. And perhaps it's not even verbal. And yet you can minister to them as a good friend. Proverbs 27, 9. Ointment and perfume rejoice the heart. So does the sweetness of a man's friend by hearty counsel. Many times we need to rub ointments on our body for sore muscles, or perhaps if we have a chest cold, Vicks works wonders. A lot of times when we prepare to go out, lots of women have many perfumes. It makes you feel like you're dressed after you're put on your best dress and your jewelries and you do your hair, you want to put a little bit of perfume on. 
it kind of complements what you're doing. And this verse is saying, ointment and perfume rejoice the heart. Isn't that a beautiful picture? That's how we become happy in the spirit world. And it says, so does the sweetness of man's friend by hearty counsel. That person that has the need in their life, when you can tell what that need is, and then you go and minister to them, you're giving them hearty, godly counsel for their benefit. And you become the perfume in their life. That's a beautiful picture. Proverbs 28, 23. He that rebuketh a man afterwards shall find more favor than he that flattereth with the tongue. Sometimes in our life we need to rebuke people. I know all of my children, when they were growing up, I had to correct them. That is a form of rebuking them. It's saying this is not the proper way to do this. You need to do it this way or avoid what that pattern is in your life because it's not good. So that rebuke, as they get older, will benefit them. The other side of the coin is somebody that flatters with a tongue is not doing any favors. All that you're doing many times is covering up the problems in their life. For example, if somebody is an alcoholic and you say, oh, that's okay, your problems will go away. You can have that one drink tonight. You'll be okay in the morning. You're flattering their ego and you're not helping them at all. Now that's a really difficult issue. People that are on alcohol or drugs, many times it's to their destruction. Did you see in the Fox News report yesterday, there was a 20 year old girl who lived in South Carolina and she got high on drugs and she had the most beautiful eyes. They were light green and blue, but she went to a church when she was high on drugs and she pulled out both of her eyes. And the pastor of the church came out and ministered and called the ambulance, and she's blind now. That is a really deep spiritual problem. And see, people are, that are like that, if you try to cover that up, you're doing them harm. Now, those are extreme cases, except God working in that person's life and doing a miracle. How will they go on? And now their family is raising money because she has to have a seeing eye dog. The mom is just totally in distraught about that. As of course, any of us would be if our child did that. Matthew 18, 15. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he will hear thee, Thou hast gained thy brother. Now this passage deals primarily with sin in somebody's life. If you go them and share what that sin pattern is, and if they accept your help and your advice, your godly counsel, then this verse is saying you gained a brother. But many times those people will not listen to you. And then the scriptures say you should get two or three other Christians and go approach them and discuss it. So this is a, it actually walks into church discipline. On an individual one-on-one -on -one person basis, if you have something that comes up between you and a friend, approach them in love and try to resolve it. 
in a godly way. That's what this verse is instructing us to do. Point number three. Do not have foolish friends. That almost goes without saying. As a Christian, we shouldn't have people that we view as being foolish people. Why would we want to spend time and our energy, which is so valuable to us, especially as we get older, because we have less of it, right? The, the time capsule is shortening. We don't want to spend that time with foolish people. Proverbs eleven fourteen, Where no counsel is, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. When we have an issue that needs to be resolved, it could be a spiritual issue, or it could be an issue in everyday life like health or finances. Where we have more than one expert opinion, there's safety in the counsel of many. And this verse is teaching us. It says, in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. If a king would go to war, he would have many counselors to advise him. It would be a rash decision for a king to do that on his own without listening to the expertise of the other people that can help advise him. For example, in our country, it would be the military and the State Department that could advise the president. And it would be short-sighted and a little bit foolish not to take their expert opinion. And then after you hear the counsel of many, make the decision. Proverbs 12, verse 5. The thoughts of the righteous are right, but the counsels of the wicked are deceit. So here, again, we have this division. The counsel of the righteous, a righteous person is somebody who's saved. A righteous person has their sins under the blood. They're a Christian. The contrast is made to the counsels of the wicked. The wicked are the lost, which are deceitful. Deceit means lie. Before we were saved, we had in us the spirit of deceit. Psalm 32 discusses that. But once we became a child of God, that deceit now is overwhelmed with the Holy Spirit. But we do not want to take counsel from the lost because they still are under the power of that spirit of deceit. Proverbs 16.22 Understanding is a wellspring of life unto him that has it. But the instruction of fools is folly. Again, we see this contrast. The Christian, when they have the understanding, and remember, the Bible defines knowledge of the holy is understanding. This verse says understanding, which is knowledge of the holy, the holy being the Bible, of God, is the wellspring of life. Not only eternal life, but the wellspring of life on a practical, everyday basis. The things that God wants us to do, the instruction manual, which is the Bible, if we follow those guidelines that he gives us, we will live a longer life than the person who does not follow God's word. And it says the instruction of fools is folly. Folly means it's going to end in destruction. It's going to end where it's going to be a very costly decision. We do not want to follow the advice of fools. Proverbs 16, verse 29 and 30. A violent man entices his neighbor, 
and leads him into the way that is not good. He shuts his eyes to devise forward things, moving his lips to bring evil to pass. A violent man is somebody who can lose his temper at the drop of a hat. We do not want to be around those people. It's like, when is the dynamite going to explode? There are many people that are like that. Whatever their pride issue is, when somebody offends that pride issue, they lose it. They can start to argue, and in young men, they typically start to fight. Many of these people join gangs. Gangs are violent. The MS-13 gang in America right now is very violent. There was an article in the Washington Post just this past week where there's high schools outside of D.C. up in the Maryland area. Over the last four years, they've committed like 29 murders. These gang members, they're violent. When I go talk to the kids in jail, right here in the Lynchburg Juvenile Jail, many of those, I call them children, although they're young men, they're in gangs. One of the reasons is they don't have dad's, father's influence in their life. And many times in the home environment, they will have siblings that are from two, three, and four different women. And many times the moms are not even there. The grandmoms are raising the children. And that home environment, there's no godliness there. So they turn to gangs as crazy as this sounds, for the organization and the fellowship and what they're viewing as a paternal order. The man in America is not doing his duty. If you have children, God gave you a job to raise them up as godly seed. And in America, that's one of the major issues. We no longer honor marriage. I was talking to my son He's in his mid-30s, and this was a conversation we probably had 10 years ago. And I was saying, Christian, you don't hardly ever go to anybody's wedding. What's going on with your friends? He goes, Dad, nobody gets married anymore. They all just live together. So if you're not married, there's no loss to move out of that apartment if you're living with somebody. So that's a major issue in America. Proverbs 22, verse 24 and 25. Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man thou shalt not go, lest thou learn his ways and get a snare to thy soul. Those kids that join the gangs, they're learning the ways of the other gang members. Many times they have to do a crime in order to be initiated into the gang. They have to do evil in order to become a member. And this verse is saying, don't do that. Don't go with them or you will learn their ways. And look at how it ends. Get a snare to thy soul. A snare is something that catches an animal, like a rabbit or a bird. And when that rabbit or that bird is caught in the snare, it's killed. This says it will be a snare to your soul. That soul will be killed in the spirit world and they will go into the lake of fire which is the second death remember the bible says if you live by the sword you will die by the sword 
Many of those gang members, they die when they're teenagers in their 20s or even in their early 30s. Their lifespan is very short because they're living violent lives. And God never blesses that. Again, if they live by the sword, they will die by the sword. Proverbs 27, 14. He that blesseth his friend with a loud voice, rising early in the morning, it shall be counted a curse to him. I think that the writer of the Proverbs here, King Solomon, he's almost making a joke. Because he says, he that blesses his friend with a loud voice in the morning. How many of you want to be blessed with your friend walking into your house with a very loud voice? We want to be quiet in the morning. And he says, it shall be counted a curse to him. Of course, it will be. You're not going to be a happy camper if somebody comes into your house shouting and making a big commotion when you're just getting out of bed. Ecclesiastes 9.17 The words of wise men are heard in quiet more than the cry of him that ruleth among fools. When we sit down one-on-one -on -one with one of our Christian friends and we talk about the things in our life, we can do it over a cup of coffee or perhaps a soda or an iced tea and we can get much accomplished in that conversation. But look at the contrast to somebody who's ruling over fools. It's like herding cats. You can shout at the top of your voice and nothing will be accomplished. It says, you accomplish more with your Christian friend with a quiet conversation than somebody that cries over him that rules among fools. You see the contrast? Fools have no control in their life. They're very singular and self-serving. They're selfish people. They don't consider the needs of the people around them. 1 Corinthians 15.33 Be not deceived. Evil communication corrupts good manners. We were talking about this verse this morning in the junior Bible church. And one of the children said, his neighbor, who's his age, has a foul mouth that he takes the name of the Lord in vain and uses other bad language. And his dad will not let him play with him. And the dad is wise because he knows if his child hangs around with this kid with the bad mouth, sooner or later, he's going to start letting some of those bad words slip out in his conversation. And this verse teaches us that. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. That's why we need to be very conscious and careful of who our children and now our grandchildren are associating with, especially in the world out there today. It's not the same world as when we grew up. It's much more wicked. And there are many more temptations that children have that we never had. For example, this girl with the drugs. I never saw drugs when I was in high school. It just wasn't there. And now it's so commonplace. If you know where to get them, you can buy them in an afternoon. And the drugs are more, as I understand, are more powerful today than they were 20, 30, 40 back in the hippie days of the 50s and the 60s. So there's an epidemic in America where so many people are dying of drug overdoses. It's rampant. I looked at a chart several months ago 
the curve is just going up, up, up of people that are dying from overdoses. It's terrible. And the thing about drugs is it opens your mind to Satan. In the Bible, the Greek word for drugs is pharmakia. It's where we get the word pharmaceutical from, a drugstore. And that means sorcery. People that take drugs are opening their minds to demons. And that's why that girl would go and pluck her eyeballs out. Because she's under demonic influence. 1 Corinthians 6.14 Be you not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion has light with darkness? All of us know what a yoke is. A yoke would be you have two oxen and you put the yoke between them and you can effectively plow a field. Probably not today in 2018, but in other countries, I was on a missions trip a few years ago with our pastor, and in India, they still plow the fields with two oxen with a yoke between them. Now, it wouldn't make any sense to have an ox with a yoke and a little puppy dog on the other side of the ox. That would be unequally yoked. And we kind of chuckle at that because it's a silly picture in our mind. But if we're yoked with somebody who's a non-believer in the spirit world, it has the same consequences. The Christian is pulling all the work, and the person who's a not a Christian is only going to be to their detriment. It will only be to their folly to bring them down. We never want to be unequally yoked. And when we advise our children and grandchildren on their mates to be married with, they should never marry somebody who's not a Christian, if they are a Christian, because then they would be unequally yoked. So not only does that apply to friendships, it applies to your spouse in life. And we can advise our grandchildren in those areas, our children in those areas. I still have three that are not married. So, no, I have four. I'm losing my count here. I have four that are not married, although one is in the process of courting, and she is courting a godly man. So that was the most important thing from my perspective. When he came to me to ask if it was okay to court my daughter, we talked about his relationship with the Lord. Because I don't want any of my children to be unequally yoked. Point number four, let Jesus be your best friend. You know that song we've all sung so many times, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And Jesus is our best friend. Proverbs 18.24 A man that has friends must show himself friendly. And there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. If we want to have friends in our life, it's a whole lot easier to make a friend if we smile than if we have a sour face. Well, the same thing goes in all walks of life. If we want to have friends, we need to be friendly. But this verse ends, there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. That's Jesus. And the reason he sticks closer than a brother is when we get saved, our body becomes the temple of the Holy Ghost. God actually indwells us. That is sticking closer than a brother. You could be next to your brother and physically be touching. Jesus is closer because he's inside. And also, 
That is protection in the spirit world. When I was talking to that guy at the Salvation Army on Wednesday night, initially I didn't want to engage in that conversation because he was talking about demons. That conversation makes me uncomfortable. But then the thought jumped into my mind, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And then I felt comfort from that scripture and I shared with him the best that I could in that setting. We talked for a long time, probably 40 minutes or so, one-on-one, -on -one, ministering the word of God into that young man's life. He's 31 years old. Proverbs 22:11. He that loveth pureness of heart for grace of his lips, the king shall be his friend. The biggest influence we can have on people that we really don't know very well is to have a godly testimony. People see us when we interact with them, but many times they're watching us from afar. Here in your community, people may not talk to you every day, but they might be viewing you. And they could see you have a conversation with somebody else. And they know if your countenance is loving and joyful and happy versus somebody who might be having a quarrel with somebody. They don't have to hear any of the words that are actually spoken between the two of you, but they can see. And this verse is saying, he that loves pureness of heart for the grace of his lips, the king shall be his friend. You will have a significant influence by your testimony. And even people that are important someday will seek out your advice because they see qualities in you that are very beneficial. Remember a few weeks ago when we were doing the lesson where the centurion had his servant that was at the point of dying and he sent the elders to Jesus and asked Jesus to heal his servant? This man was very valuable because of his abilities. In the spirit world, as a Christian, you're very valuable to our King Jesus, and he will use you for his kingdom. We're never too old to be used of God for his kingdom, because all of us can pray, even sitting in our bed at nighttime or in the morning when we wake up. John 15, 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. This is Jesus speaking. He's saying, love one another as I loved you. How much did Jesus love us? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus loved us so much, he died for us. Can't we just serve him a little bit? That's all God is asking. He's saying, love one another as I have loved you. And then he goes on to the next verse, John 15, 13. Greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Now, we don't have to physically die for our friends, but sometimes we have to go out of our comfort zones to minister. Perhaps we're a little bit tired, but we know God wants us to say a good word to that person. We go out of our comfort zone for the Lord, and that's a form of laying down our life for God's kingdom. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, 
But the greatest of these is charity. In 1 Corinthians 13, 13, it's saying charity. In this chapter of 1 Corinthians, all of the chapter, whenever you see charity, that means love. So let's look at this verse with charity being love. And now abideth faith, hope, love. These three, they're all important, right? Faith, hope, and love, they're all pretty important in our life. But God is saying the greatest of these is love. The greatest thing, love in God's sight is better than faith. Love in God's sight is better than hope. Because love is what God did for us. For God so loved the world. And he wants us to have those attributes of Christ in our life. Hebrews 10.24 And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. To provoke means to encourage somebody. Maybe you're teaching your child to tie his shoes for the first time or your grandchild and they don't want to do it. Well, you encourage them. That's a form of provoking them. Oh, you can do it. It's easy. Here, let me show you. This is the way your fingers go. And you teach them. Or perhaps they need to clean up their room. Or there's many little chores that children learn through your provoking them to accomplish the goal. We need to do that with other fellow Christians. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love, encourage people unto love, and to good works. Sometimes we don't want to do the good work that God wants us to do. Or maybe there's somebody else that you can encourage to do that good work for the Lord. That's part of our Christian walk with the Lord, to provoke others that are Christians. 1 Peter 4, 8 and 9. And above all things, have fervent charity, love among yourselves. For charity, love, shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. How many times in our life have we had issues with people that if we would have just let that sleeping dog lie asleep, there would have been no issues? And that's what this verse is saying. For lovers shall cover the multitude of sins. Another way of saying that is we need to be long-suffering. Long-suffering is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We can be long-suffering by showing people love. Maybe they aggravate us. How many times are we supposed to forgive? Seven times? What did Jesus say? Seven times 70. And that doesn't mean we stop at, what, 490. That means you forgive and you forgive and you forgive. You don't count how many times you forgive. 1 Peter 4.10, the next verse. And every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. When you were saved, you received a gift of the Holy Spirit. Some people have multiple gifts. Remember in Romans... Paul was talking to the Romans and he said, For I long to deliver unto you a spiritual gift to the end you would be established. He longed to see them so he could preach to them. And then they would get saved. And then when they were saved, they would receive the spiritual gift. For I long to see you to deliver unto you a spiritual gift from the Holy Ghost. All of our gifts of the Spirit come from God. But the primary reason God gives us the gifts of the Holy Spirit is to minister to the church family. 
he gives the example of a body, right? We all can't be a nose or ears or eyes. Somebody has to be the toes and the feet. And every one of us have different gifts from the Holy Spirit to minister. And he's saying, as every man has received the gift, if you're a Christian in this room today, you have at least one gift. Even so, minister the same one to another. Use that gift to minister, to help other Christians. And as good stewards, a good steward is somebody who maximizes the benefit of what's given them to be the steward. So if you went to a financial advisor and you gave them some money to invest for you and you came back in five years and if they had any investment return, you would be disappointed. You would say, well, what did you do with the money for five years? God's going to say the same thing to us at the judgment seat. What did you do with the gift that I gave you? And he's saying here, be good stewards of the manifold grace of God. See, the gifts that we have are from the grace of God. For by grace are you saved through faith. That's grace. And the gifts of God are from his grace. And then the last verse today. This is a beautiful picture. If you're a Christian, you're in God's church family. And the church is the bride of Christ. One day there's going to be the marriage feast of the Lamb. And we're, spiritually speaking, going to be married to Jesus in heaven. And this verse says it. This is Revelation 19.7. Let us be glad and rejoice. How many times have you gone to the wedding and you were full of happiness and joy? We're going to be full of happiness and joy at that wedding feast. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come. And his wife has made herself ready. When somebody is going to be married, the bride doesn't get up in the morning out of her bed and put on some sweatpants and a t-shirt and go to the chapel to get married. She gets up early and she's been planning this for weeks, perhaps months. And she has that beautiful white dress and just the perfect jewelry and the veil and she has the perfect high heel shoes and it's all planned out for the purpose of being ready for the groom at the wedding feast that's going to happen. I remember my daughter, Catania, she was married at the chapel over at Liberty University. She was getting ready and her and her other sister were in there getting all of the wedding dress ready and and I went in just to see how she was doing. And I said, Katanya, can I pray with you? So we prayed right before she was going to get married. And then she started to cry. And she goes, Dad, now I have to redo my makeup. So even the detail of the makeup is important on a girl's wedding day. Are you ready to meet the groom? That's what this verse is asking. Let me read that again. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, this is Jesus, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife has made herself ready. Are you ready to be the bride of Christ today? Because if you still have to get your dress ready and your shoes ready and you put your makeup on perfect and get the jewelry and everything done, then you're not ready. This week you have some work to do. You have a little 
checklist to take care of some items. But this is a beautiful study about friendship from the book of Proverbs. And the greatest friend we have is Jesus. He sticks closer to us than a brother. And one day, as a Christian, we will be the bride of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this beautiful study today from your word. All the studies of your word, God, are beautiful. Lord, I just thank you for the fellowship in this room today, that we could study your word. For the senior saints in this room, that you would bless them this week as they go about their duties. If they have some meetings with doctors or upcoming procedures, Lord, just give them peace of mind and heal their bodies and give wisdom to the doctors. And Lord, all of us in this room, we have family members that we know are not in the kingdom. Lord, give us opportunities to witness. And as we walk daily, bring people into our path, across our path, into our life, that we can share the word of God with. And Jesus, you are an awesome God. Father, thank you for sending your son to die for us. And Holy Spirit, protect us this week. Keep our minds focused on you, that we don't quench your Holy Spirit. And Jesus, we ask all of these things in your precious name. Amen. So you are dismissed. Happy Sunday.